Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Off Script with Pastor Jared. We are in our Misunderstood series, and as I promised you, there would be five additional midweek podcast episodes uh, dedicated to this series. And so this is the first one of these. On Sunday, we looked at Philippians 4.13 and talked about how commonly that passage can be misinterpreted. I hope that was a, a blessing to you to hear uh, what I think is a, a better, deeper, more true interpretation of what Paul was saying, that I can endure all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, and so I thought that this verse that I want to look at today might be a good companion piece to it. It might be uh, somewhat similar. So I thought, let's put them right next to each other, to kind of give us a theme for the week. And so I want to start by asking a question that's uh, not direct quotation from the verse that we're going to look at today. Have you ever heard anyone say the phrase, don't worry, God won't give you any more than you can handle? Have you ever heard that? Where does that come from in the Bible exactly? Because it's usually said as like a Bible thing, right? So where does that come from? If you're pausing and thinking, hmm, I don't know, it's because that's actually not anywhere in the Bible. Um, That phrase, God will not give you more than you can handle, is just not present in the Bible. So where do people get it from? Well, they didn't just make it up. What what I think and what most people think is that it came from a stretching of of similar verse, which most, most people would say is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. So I'm going to take you there right now. Uh, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10, 13 for you, and maybe you'll see yeah, that's probably where it came from. Uh, so let's let's read it. it. Says no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Okay, so you can see why most people think that's where this came from. But if you compare the original phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, uh, that that sort of implies like it could be any life situation, like no suffering is going to come your way that won't be uh, too difficult or that will push you beyond your limits and boundaries. Nothing's going to happen to you that won't be, you know, too dangerous, too damaging, too hard. Um, And I think most Christians that have been around the block say, I don't, that's not true. God does absolutely give you more than you can handle. Um, the, I mean, did Job get more than he can handle? Uh, that was pretty serious. I don't. Job probably wouldn't sit back and say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm handling this." Um, what about Christians that get martyred? You know, Christians that have intense persecution? Maybe they would say they can handle it. I don't know. I don't want to put myself in their position, but uh, that phrase to me it just falls short uh, because. God does give us uh, things that break us and push us past our boundary and limit. Um, Surely it's all for his good pleasure. It's all for his plan, his providence. Uh, It's not for for just no reason, not just sadistically to hurt us or anything like that. But he does push us beyond our boundaries. I think we can affirm that um, in life. So that kind of is taken off the plate. So let's look at the actual verse where this came from, and maybe we can get a better, more understandable understanding of this verse when we take that kind of false line out. So what's the context of 
First Corinthians 10. Remember, we told you on Sunday the uh, really important to study the context of any passage that you're studying uh, to know what it's about. So Paul, again, just like Sunday's text, wrote 1 Corinthians to the church at Corinth. And if you know your Bible, you'll know the, the Corinthian church was a troubled church. They were very uh, sinful. They had a lot of sin in the church. Uh, because a lot of people had been converted in from pagan backgrounds, which that's a good thing. You want pagans converted, and uh, but they didn't let go of a lot of that paganism, and they brought it in uh, to the church gatherings with them. So um, Paul has been helping the Corinthian church in this letter deal with sin and temptation and things that they've been going through, a lot of things through this letter, all the way up through chapter 10. And so then what he does is he throws in, uh, if, you look, if you look earlier in the chapter, back to 10.1, what he does is he gives a running comparison to sins in the Old Testament of uh, Exodus and Numbers, which is really great because we just studied Numbers as a church. So he gives kind of a wilderness uh, picture of a lot of the ways that the Israelites failed, and he shows that these, what you're going through, the point of that is to show that what you're going through, church, is not new. It's not shocking. You're not the first people who've ever had to deal with really tempting sins. And so then he gives a list. So let's look at the whole thing. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 14. He says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and passed through the sea and were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, uh, most of them, God was not pleased with them, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So he gives this kind of unifying picture in the beginning. He talks about all the Israelites that came out of Egypt together. Uh, They were all led by Moses. They followed the pillar of cloud and the fire at night, and they were all eating the manna together, and they all drank from the water uh, that came from the rock and uh, gives a great typology there that, that the rock pictures Christ in the wilderness, the, the living water that is in the dry ground in the wilderness. And he says, nevertheless, in all that, God was not pleased with them. Uh, as Kevin Watts preached a few Sunday nights ago, Israel failed in the wilderness. Uh, Jesus succeeded in his wilderness with uh, with. Satan and his temptation, but Israel uh, failed in the in the wilderness, basically. So he goes on, he says, verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us. All this wilderness stuff, Paul says, are supposed to be examples for us in, in the church, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Where would that come from? Well, that's the golden calf. That's a direct quotation for when they worshipped the golden calf. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. Well, where did that come from? Well, that was from Numbers 25 when the uh, Israelite men went to have relations with the Moabite women, and God sent a plague upon them, and not until Phineas drove the spear into uh, the man and woman uh, and through their chest did God relent from the plague. Well, that's what Paul's quoting here. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. 
Well, that's the, we know the bronze serpent story, how, when they were grumbling about their food and uh, God sent the serpents to bite them and only until they looked did they live. He says, uh, verse 10, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Uh, that's probably a, a, uh, a picture of, of that being killed by fire and, and being uh, destroyed because of their hatred of the manna. Verse 11 says, now these things happen. Here we're getting into our, our verse now. Now these things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So Paul's saying, it, be careful if you think you're above temptation, if you think that uh, you are not susceptible to temptation, be careful because that just makes you likely to fall. Let anyone thinks that he stands, take heed. If you think you're standing and you're above temptation and being, you're too good, you're too wise, you're too moral, you don't sin anymore, you know, if you think you're hot stuff, Paul says, be careful because you're a candidate for a fall. All right, that was verse 12. Then he says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So there, it's almost like he's kind of coming back. He's softening up a little bit. So he was kind of hard in the last verse. Now he's, he's saying, well, know this. Nothing you're dealing with and that you're going to deal with is going to be something that the people of God haven't had to deal with for centuries and millennia. Sin has always been around. And it basically exists in these categories, these, these similar categories, because Satan, the father of lies, the father of sin, uh, he does what he does. He's got a playbook. He's got a way about him that he does. Uh, he brings sin into uh, situations in our life in similar ways. And so you just go back to those examples that Paul quoted, just wilderness stuff. Uh, you saw sexual sin. You saw uh, grumbling, gossip, complaining. Uh, you saw idolatry. I mean, the, those have been around forever, and they continue to be around. They put a different mask on. They take on different faces, but they've been around, and they're going to continue to be around in, in different ways. So he says, no, no temptation has overtaken you that is, that is not common to man. And then he says, God is faithful, and he also will provide the way of escape that you may be able to to endure it. Therefore, beloved, flee from idolatry. God is faithful. Why, why is Paul telling us that? Well, it's a reminder that God doesn't abandon his people to endure these temptations alone. Uh, you're not out there on your lonesome trying to fight the power of sin in your own heart and Satan uh, externally pushing upon you. Um, God doesn't create situations where we are slave to our temptations. He doesn't tempt us. James tells us that God does not directly tempt us at all, that those temptations are not from God. Now, sure, God allows a world where Satan has some degree of ability to tempt. Um, that's a deep question. Uh, certainly, it's a Satan plays a role in some part of God's plan. Uh, that's a deep uh, 
pondering thought that maybe will keep you up at night, but we know that that's true. On some level, the temptations of Satan uh, play a role in in God's redemptive historical plan, Uh, but God himself does not tempt. And so uh, what Paul is saying here is God's more interested in strengthening you to have a way out of your temptation. Um, God is providing for his people ways of escape in our sin. Um, I, I like this quote I, I had. I saw in the Bible Knowledge Commentary. Uh, it says, part of the Corinthian problem, of course, was that some in the face of temptation were not looking for a way out by endurance, but a way in for indulgence. And I thought that was pretty good. Um, the, the Corinthian church was struggling because they were in, they were indulging in sin. They wanted it. They were uh, wanting more sin. Whereas Paul is saying God is uh, more interested in helping us escape sin. And so, you know, even uh, when we sin now in our lives, you can probably relate to what I'm about to say. There's typically a moment when you're about to sin, Christian, and maybe there's just a moment of pause. There's just this moment of, of clarity. Maybe it's right before you indulge in sin, or maybe right in the middle of it, and you're just, you have a moment of pause when you're like, man, this is bad. What I'm doing is not right. What I just said, I shouldn't have said. Or I'm about to say this thing. I'm going to roast this person, or I'm going to say, I'm going to make this joke that's a little, a little farther than I should go. It's a little dirty. I'm going to go ahead. And then boom, there's just something that kind of clicks in your brain. It's like, call it the Holy Spirit. Call it conscience. Call it uh, God stopping, uh, giving you a moment of clarity. This is what we're talking about. This is what Paul's saying. That moment of, how does he phrase it? providing a way of escape. That's it. There's a way of escape in that moment of sin where you can say, you know, I don't have to go through with this. Now, in our sin, we often do. We often do push through uh, and hurt our conscience and grieve the Holy Spirit and keep on keeping on and go through with the sin and then have some reflection and repentance afterwards. So when you when you get right with God after the fact, you know, that's in the realm of repentance, forgiveness and mercy. But I think what Paul's talking about here is there is a moment before the sin occurs where where God is giving a moment of escape to say you you don't have to go down this road, you know. Uh, he's allowing you a moment not to even enter into the the door of sin. And uh, that's what Paul's talking about, that he's going to, God is helping you. He wants to help you to endure temptations. And to to endure temptation doesn't mean to get more tempted. It means uh, to throw off the temptation and, or not follow through with the temptation to actually commit the sin. That's what it means to endure a temptation. So uh, you may have a temptation come your way and it hits and you're thinking about the sin, but you endure it, you throw it off, you pray, you clear your mind and you move on and no sin has taken place. 
That's a wonderful thing. That's why it makes sense that right after this, in verse 14, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. Throw off the sin before you even have a chance to get there. That's what Paul is saying. So let's tidy this up a little bit. This verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, is really not about God giving you more than you can handle. It's, it's about God being with you during temptation and allowing you a moment of clarity and strength to endure that temptation and not fall into sin. It's saying that God sustains us when sin is crouching at the door and that temptation is coming. God is there and gives us the grace and the power not to go forward with it and not to fall into temptation. And that God's great goal for our life is that we would flee immorality. And so that's what this verse is all about, And which to me, is a lot more empowering than God will not give you more than you can handle because he will. So this is much stronger to think, man, our God desires that we not sin so much that he's there with us in those temptations, helping us to pause and slow down and say, do I really need to sin? Do I need to do this? Is this what you would want me to do? Is this going to honor you in my life, God? He's there giving a way of escape. And and I would uh, say that all the wisdom that we've accrued in our study of God in our in the Bible are little ways of escape because if you're following after God and you're reading his word, uh, hopefully you're not putting yourself into temptation that's going to manifest in sin later. And so I think that's another way that this works out. So I hope that this uh, is beneficial to you. Uh, just know that phrase is nowhere in the Bible, that God will not give you more than you can handle. Uh, search it on your internet, see, put it in quotes, make sure you'll just, you'll find that it's just made up, which is is really frustrating because uh, there's phrases out there that people just swear are biblical and, uh, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. You're like, well, where does that come from? Then you look for it and you can't find it because it's not there. Uh, so be careful out there, guys. There's a lot of things out there in, in uh, pop culture that people act like are biblical and they're just made up and they sound a little spiritual. And in this case, um, this is one of those things. Uh, This verse is more about dealing with temptation than it is about uh, God giving you more than you can handle. So hope that helps you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We'll see you again this next Sunday, and uh, we'll have a new misunderstood passage for you this Sunday. Have a good one. Bye.